You're listening to the Slow Ride podcast. Bites, advice, and rumors straight from the source. The Slow Ride Podcast.com and on Twitter at the Slow Ride Pod. Enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome to the 122nd episode of the Slow Ride Podcast. This is Tim in Orlando, Florida. Hey, this is Matt, the Matt Man Allen in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And this is Spencer Howe in Boston, Massachusetts. How you doing, guys? Pretty doing good. Fan- doing fantastic. There's lots to discuss this week for all of us, but little guy, in your hand right now, I see a hard biscuit of some kind. I wish. I ate them all already, man. Those things didn't last long at all. Rusks what, are delicious. Dan what from, was it? A rusk. As Dan from Nam discussed, it's a delicious crusty bread. I don't know. It's just like dried out bread. Somehow it was a little bit sweet. I guess they douse it in sugar. I don't know. Delicious. Uh, you dip them in tea. They kind of disintegrate, and it's lovely. I ate the bag really quickly, which probably why i had a stomach ache for part of yesterday but they're wonderful you guys should try some where uh, would one find a rusk yeah that's I my them. question is that yeah. like a whole foods kind of thing no no well maybe, Trader Joe's knows, maybe. Rusks, yeah. i've never i've been in a whole foods but it's been a long time um no i went to you guys know caspians over on uh, washington and university no don't know it no, nope, don't Eastern know because I live in Orlando and Spencer well, lives in Boston. So, can well, you... both of you did live here, and Tim, you did attend this university. That sounds like it's in so St. Paul. I thought no, it's in Minneapolis, okay. right at the Washington or Washington Meets University, Middle Eastern restaurant and deli and like uh, grocery store. Caspians were in there getting some pitas, getting some hummus, getting some dried lemons, and then I look on the shelves and holy crap, there's a bag of rusks. They had multiple bags. I chose the cheap one, and they're delicious. <laughs> How much was a bag of rusks? I think it was like four bucks, three, four bucks. Like a good, All right. I don't know. It's a big-looking bag. It's like a bag of chips where you're like, wow, and you open it up, and there's it's all down at the bottom, and you just bought dried bread. So you basically just bought air, crunchy air. But I can see this is this is the thing, and and – you guys know this from we've been on rides. We go into a convenience store uh-huh. out in the middle of nowhere. You got obviously it's great that now you got Cliff Bars. You got some good granola bar options, but other than that, it's kind of crappy. Like American junk food is not very interesting. I would bet buy a bag of Rusks on a ride because especially that bag, the no. three of us could have bought a bag of Rusks and polished that shit off. Right as we got back out on the road, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? On the gravel, to grind the gravel. I've, I've always found the Star Crunch to be pretty interesting. I don't know. So, the cos- you... Cosmic Brownie? Now, that's pretty interesting. It's not There's... like the regular brownie. It doesn't have the water. Some good stuff, oatmeal but... cream pie can usually do the trick for me. Those but... are disgusting. Yeah. Hey, don't even, you know don't even talk to me about those. Those are disgusting. Swiss rolls? Swiss rolls. What what you... so, they're like, so they're like a dried Swiss roll. That you dip in tea. No, it was like it was like a poor man's biscotti. Like it was like a biscotti without like chocolate on it. Stale biscotti. Oh, 
Guys, we don't need to talk about Rusk. This is not Rusk Hour with Dan Craven, even though that would be an amazing podcast. No, that's a good podcast. Um, you guys should check it out. As a segue, segue, Sam wants to let you know that Dan Craven did, in fact, find our friend of the podcast, Derek Lewis, out at um, Eurobike. Uh, and they uh, they said hi, and they were surprised that um, both of us, both of them consider us friends. But, oh, thanks, guys. Nice. And then um, this past week weekend, I had the privilege of riding with Pat Lemieux. Um, Patrick Lemieux is a uh, you know, former professional cyclist, seen all over NBC uh, sports recently with his much better half winning the gold medal in the triathlon. And it was great to ride with Pat here in Central Florida. I think seen by many people besides you on that broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you saw I, him, nonetheless. I just fast-forwarded through the entire race and just kept looking for Pat Lemieux cameos uh-huh. um, in the, uh, the wheel pit or, you know, variety of areas. So Pat Lemieux was here, but... The greater story of riding with him was being able to um, ride for the first time here in Central Florida, Sugarloaf Mountain Road. Sugarloaf is the it's the highest point in Peninsula, Florida. It is something like three hundred eighty four feet above sea level. Wow! But it is um, huge. I'd say it's about a two and a half minute climb. It's if you can get below (laughs) if you can get below two minutes, you're good, and it. It's about fourteen to fifteen percent the entire way. So it wow, is like that is steep. It, That's steep. yeah. So little guy, why don't you start laughing a little bit? Because no, let I, me tell. I have a legitimate question, le- Tim. How how did you deal with the altitude up there when you got towards the top? So so believe it or not, you're not that high up. So the the <laughs> shortness of breath that you're having is actually from being out of shape. Oh. But I have to tell you that this climb is legit enough that when I put it up on Twitter that I had done it. I mean, several pro teams come down here during the uh, the winter months. Uh-huh. It's yeah. where all where a lot of the triathletes uh, go training. It is a, a legit climb. It's steeper than anything that I've experienced, like in Minneapolis or St. Paul. It's not as you know. It's it looks like a Ramsey Hill, but it's just like four times as long. It's yeah. it's a totally strange geographic occurrence in the hills of Claremont. It's much uh, steeper than like out of Afton, but it's not as long of a climb, right? Yeah. It's only it's like like a garbage pile of that they paved over or something like that. Oh yeah, no, it's probably like four it's golf courses it's, they kind of plowed together. Uh-huh. It's a sand hill, but it's a it's it's pretty amazing. And then at the top, what's really cool because um, it's kind of a dead ended. It's kind of a dead end road. But there's only two ways to get up to the top. That there's a house. Where the um, gentleman that lives up there has, and his wife, his late wife, have giant uh, Gatorade jugs full of water that are ice cold. So everyone like congregates up at the top to get water, and you can make oh, some donations. Like, oh, it's so a water out station for people to stop and and have Be- some because it is the mecca of cycling in Florida. Like when we were going up it, our group of ten, there was at least. 15 other cyclists either descending or climbing it when we were doing it because there's no other climbs like it in Florida. Yeah. Okay. So it's yeah. So it's where you go. Like people drive up from Miami to go ride Sugarloaf. <laughs> so where did you fall on the uh, Strava segment there in the end? Eight hundred and thirty fourth okay. out of nice. over six thousand Strava. That's pretty riders. good. Top <laughs> top twenty percent. Yeah. And th- there is a picture of me riding up, and uh, a friend of mine took it who was riding one handed. The whole way up, it still beat me by like twenty seconds. He's a top fifteen on the KOM. <laughs> it was like, oh my god! So that's so, yeah. the difference. All right, cool. So, anyways, come to Florida sometime. You can see there's actually some decent riding and hills that are uh, that will blow your socks off. 
there's one decent hill. Let's yeah. let's not let's not get too far in. I was it. just thinking, I mean, should I should I correct this yeah. plural or should I just no, let it go? No, there's there's decent hills in the area. It's just Sugarloaf okay. is the big one. Uh huh. Okay. There's several other hills that just uh-huh. don't measure up. Uh huh. Yeah. Anyway, but, but you guys call it a mountain, though, right? Well, that's the nickname. It's it's Sugarloaf Mountain oh, okay. Road, but it's just called Sugarloaf. Okay. If anybody worth their salt that's come to Florida has probably ridden Sugarloaf that's ridden a bike down here. Anyways, um, so we have a lot to talk about this week, obviously, with the Volta oh. getting exciting. Yep. We have um, Tim's, or, uh, Tim's Movie Corner. We also, <laughs> I was, I was yep. hoping for a much better name. And uh, we did get uh, quite a bit of uh, emails through there. Real, uh, check out our, in, uh, our um, Twitter feed. We did post a photo of the yellow bag that was sent to us by Randall Deedle. We talked about the yellow bag for Minneapolis Bike Messenger fandom. If you win it, you get to sign the bag. We had some high-quality photos sent to us. We also got an email from the MBMA in uh, Minneapolis hitting us up to say that the yellow bag still does exist, and it's over at um, the the fine folks over at Rocket. Rocket Delivery still have it, um, and no one uh, no one cares to do it. And um, so it's there. But guys, in the video or in the uh, pictures of the autographs of people signing it, we mm-hmm. absolutely dominated the yellow bag for a solid two years there. Little guy <laughs> took the cake. In crazy fashion in 2007. Never, yeah, like, never lost it. It was a good year for LA Cats. Yeah. <laughs> we might have been the only ones racing. I mean, in everyone else's defense, we might have been the only three racing at that point. Like, taking it seriously, it was, yeah. It was, it was kind of a a different time when uh, sometimes the Alley Cats weren't extremely well attended. But not to say we weren't speedy. Um, it's definitely what made us get excited about bike racing and and pin on those numbers and become shitty cat fours but yeah it yeah. probably is so Start of it all. i mean i think there's a lot of people that have uh i mean you know we all did this we all raced that we i had the delusion of thinking i was pretty quick uh and then uh i i had like what like two three years before i ever finished in the pack at a crit so yeah. you know it's good. It's good. It's good for the. It was good for the confidence. Let me say. <laughs> so, thanks for the uh, the feedback. Go check out our uh, Twitter feed where all the info is. But thanks to the MBMA for letting us know that our our history, guys, it is still has not been lost. Yeah. Surprisingly, a messenger hasn't either a puked in the bag or accidentally set it on fire while rolling a joint. But you know, other than that, it is good that the yellow bag still exists. Indeed. Um, other news sent our way before we get into the excitement of the Vuelta is we had some para-Olympian cyclist, I don't even know the guy's name, some doper, but he actually admitted to it. And yeah. you got, I know I know Spencer, you saw this because you emailed it to me. It was kind yeah. of a pretty crazy story. Little guy, did you have a chance to read it? I I kind of glanced at it. I Yeah, my my care for dopers is pretty low. But yeah, go you tell me. I figured you'd tell me about it more. Well, I'm just, you know, I... Again, I don't know much about the racer himself because, unfortunately, the Paralympics aren't covered as much as they should be. Um, so I'm a little uneducated on the topic of the, the different um, you know, disciplines and whatnot. But this uh, cyclist got busted for EPO, and rather than go for his B sample, he pretty much just said, yeah, I did it. I was in the weak spot, but sorry to let all my sponsors down. And he just names off the people that, that he let down, and he... <laughs> says, hey, I am a horrible human being. 
and I'm going to battle depression, basically. Like, it was a very heartfelt thing. And I'm starting to wonder oh. at the end if, if I sit here going, oh, man, should I feel less bad for this guy? Or should I just immediately go, oh, you're a doper. I don't care about your story. Well, I think, yeah. I think it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, he said he was battling with depression before. Oh. And then okay, thank you. He was dealing with the pressure of needing to perform, and he knew he had just had a kid and things like this and in his regular life and like was taken away from training time and he wasn't going to be able to to meet all the expectations that were put on him by everybody and that is why he cracked and did it but he didn't tell anybody and he was like wrote this very help heartfelt apology to like his coaches and to his sponsors and to all the people at the facilities that he trained at like i let you guys all down because i'm a shitty person like i did this shitty thing and none of you would have expected me to do it. And a year ago, I wouldn't have expected myself to do it. And it's, I mean, it's, it comes, it rings very true. It rings very honest, you know. It doesn't really change any of the facts about what he did, but it, it puts it, it puts a light on it that you don't usually get about why people begin. So, Spencer, to sum up what you just said, I was 100% wrong in my own, um, uh, synopsis of what the, of what he wrote yeah totally. okay thanks for clarifying i like your synopsis much better so am i supposed to feel less bad for this guy or should i still just be like eh, doper well i, I think know. i think like, he would, I'm he would like challenge. you to feel less bad but i don't know i mean you know whatever he's gonna be banned for two years or maybe more i'm not sure but he didn't ask for leniency didn't seem to expect it um you know, I just thought the window into like what yeah what makes somebody make that kind of decision like it wasn't based on like a, I need to win it wasn't like I need to get a contract it wasn't it was just like I'm gonna let a bunch of people down and I don't want to do that so I'm gonna make this bad decision and now to that let I, them down again yeah now that I did it I realized this was like a real bad idea you know like that is some yeah. weird circular reasoning. Yeah, it's like yeah. always some weird I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, I don't know. It was, it doesn't change my opinion of him. Like, you screwed up. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, des- like, you don't deserve any leniency for that. But I, it was, it was, if you find the article, it's on Cycling Tips. Um, the thing that he wrote, like, it's worth reading. Just, just like, I don't know. Like, you forget. Like, it's, it's easy to be like, ah, doper, done, done with you. Like that, all these cyclists are are real people. You know what I mean? Maybe the challenge for me was that I didn't know really who he was because like I didn't, I didn't have a connection with him, huh. and yeah. so I kind of just was like, "Oh, that sucks." Like, cool story, bro. Like in a horrible way. Like I just, yeah, I got bigger things to worry about than some doper because so much of my life seemed to be controlled by the whole Lance Armstrong doping thing, right? Like yeah. that was our cycling identity forever was dealing with people saying that Lance was clean and we were all like, you know, that guy is dirtier than ever. Um, and this, this brings up today while uh, Sarah and I went out, uh, had a great day, come back to the house. I'm looking for a movie to watch, go through Netflix. Don't really have anything. Check out HBO, nothing of, uh, interest. And I go to the little, I hardly ever use it, but the Amazon, um, TV, and if you have okay. Prime, there's, like, this whole, like, movies thing. So I, like, lock into the, oh, what movies are available? And I start scrolling through. And I get to, like, 
the 30th page down of five options. So, like, I'm 160 movies into what they think I'm going to like. And that was And deep. then I see it. And then yeah. I see the movie that I have been looking all over for and have because it was in the theater for about a week and then all of a sudden it was gone and of course i'm talking about the recent ben foster classic the program which focuses on the entire lance armstrong um debacle and guys i can't believe this movie didn't win an oscar really are you being serious just because you love watching lance it was one hell of a montage like this, this movie <laughs> was an entire one, montage. One hell go to of a Amazon montage. Video. Anybody that's got Amazon um, Prime Video, whatever, you can go watch the movie, the program. Search it. Not the much better movie, the program from the mid '90s about Division One college football. This movie. Oh, the I mean, Floyd Landis is in it, and every now and then they would like freeze frame the the no. like the movie and be like, "Hey, this is Floyd Landis," or "This is Johan Bruniel." They show George Hincapi, and they don't frame it to go, oh, George Aww. Hincapi. Like, he's not even mentioned as a character or, like, he's there, so you know it's him. Like, you've got Frankie Andreu, he's kind of plays a role, and Betsy. But there's this guy, and you're like, I'm pretty sure that's George, because he's handsome, tall, kind of got some big ears. <laughs> and then, but they never highlight that it's him. Uh... <laughs> well, okay. I mean, he's pretty famous you should just know that right you're going into a lance armstrong movie you've obviously done your research right yeah no matt well they were best they friends. like highlight a bunch of like minor players that it, what's crazy is is that with us as cycling fans in this movie like they show the entire like willie vote as the festina soigneur getting stopped at the border by the french oh, yeah. police coming back yeah, from yeah. belgium they show that scene of finding the drugs and then they show Veronque crying and then they're like oh what a baby um, Wait, was they, it like do, stock footage, or do they have an actor no, playing? Richard they kind of do crying? it all. Like it's it's kind of weird. Sometimes it's stock footage, sometimes it's a uh, um, actor. I think the Veronk thing was was uh, stock footage, but then they show yeah, Filippo nice. Simone. Like they show the whole scene where Simone is up there and he does the the locked lips thing. Yeah, I've thought about watching it. it. It almost feels too close to home in a way. You know that like I feel like I would have a hard time watching it. It's a uh, it's a. Not a good movie, but it's definitely a movie that a cyclist should watch. So I highly recommend it to both uh, to both you guys. Well, that, I appreciate the recommendation. I'm glad I heard all about it. I'm guaranteeing you, I probably will not go through the trouble to find this and watch it. Uh, maybe it's, someday. It's defi- I'll watch it at some point. What, what's maybe crazy about it is that watching it the whole time, like even Sarah was watching with me, and she's like, "Oh, oh, oh, is that you know." Is that is this is when I started watching? This is when he won the fifth tour, and there's no mention yeah. of Jan, but there is like a bigger guy in like a T-Mobile kit. <laughs> you know, like, oh man, did, wait, did Jan did really they... get dragged through the mud? I bet he did. Oh, oh, did they get like a chubby dude to play him? That's so mean. <laughs> well, it's no, but like they don't point out that that's Ulrich. Like you only know because you're like because it's a chubby like, guy a in a pink kit. Oh yeah. it, man, it's designed to I'm reward like, like the. Uh, you know the the cycling fan like they did a really good job of trying hard to make it like a cycling movie. You know, yeah. like oh, someone that's really into cycling. The best part though for me, and I, I took some notes, but my favorite part though, two things. One, Phil Liggett doing the voiceover, just constantly like they took the archival like Phil Liggett voiceover where he's like 
they say he's doping. There's no way he's doping because he's the hardest working man in, uh, you know, cycling. Mm -hmm. He just works um, harder, you know? The second thing after watching it, it made me really want to go ride my bike without my helmet. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool photos of like, and video of guys riding up mountains with just a cycling cap. And I'm like, man, that's much cooler than wearing like a helmet. It looks cooler. I mean, it looks way cooler. Still be chilling, <laughs> cheering for Pelizzotti. If that like, was yeah. the case. Yeah. So, anyways, there you go. That's that's movie hour with Tim. There's no... <laughs> we'd like to thank you all for listening to the podcast because there's no other news to talk about in the world of cycling. <laughs> Well, hey there, all you hosers. This is Manitoba Mike Vandenham from Canada, and uh, you're listening to the Slow Ride Podcast, eh? All right, so, hey, before we get into um, the big news happening over in Spain, we want to uh, thank the folks that donated to the Wide Angle Podium Pledge Drive. Thank you so very much for uh, joining up. I know that... uh, um, all the folks, on, all the shows on the network, including Kids Don't Follow, The Honest Bicycle Program, Crosshairs Radio, The Myerson Line coming back with hopefully Ryan Trebon guest appearance, and The Consummate yeah. Athlete, a new show, all support the, uh, or all love the support that you're giving us, and thank you very much for that, and yeah. uh, we do appreciate it. Yeah, it was awesome. We, uh, we didn't hit our, our goal, but it was a pretty, pretty tall order. But we got about halfway there. Yeah, so go to WideAnglePodium.com to learn more. And we super appreciate hey, it. It's um, amazing. Uh, we're going to keep churning out bonus content cool. for people that did sign up. We really do appreciate it. And, um, you know, if uh, if you didn't, there's still time. Hey, this is Zach McDonald, DJ the one and only Louisville Phone Party, and you're listening to the Slow Ride Podcast. Hey, um, longtime listener of the podcast is Jordan Cullen, as you guys know. He um, he's considering cutting his hair, and uh, do it. I want to have the longest hair in the Peloton, Jordan. Well, he well he was going to cut his hair to to sell it to conjure up some funds to become a contributor to the Wide Angle Podium Network. Oh, but nice. he said his uh, real question. That he has is group ride etiquette, specifically eating during a group ride. As you all know, almost all ride food is able to be consumed in one massive bite. However, if you're on a group ride and a fellow rider attempts to start a conversation right after you decide to eat a bar, you are then in an awkward position of chewing for 90 seconds before responding, which is no fun for either parties involved. So this begs the question, is it better to eat your food as quickly as possible while on a group ride to avoid the possibility of dropping your food? Or is it better to do the slightly awkward nibble and hold the wrapper on your tops and just pray the wrapper doesn't break? Ooh, I'd go with the slam it in. You don't want because you know you like you get that bar and then you you take one bite and then you notice it. You put your hand on the handlebar and you notice the bar like break in half and half your yeah. bar falls down in the ground. It's uh, like slow motion. It's like it's bending. Yeah, it's bending. But you can't it's do bending. anything, and then. That's the worst, because on a group ride, then you can't be the one guy. It's like, guys, I, I have to go back for that half a cliff bar, otherwise I'm going to get dropped later. That's well, just and, and if you're and in the middle, if you're in the middle of the group and it's it's going to fall off, like half the bar falls off, the guy behind you is going to run over it. It's going to yeah. kick up, hit the guy to his left, like square in the throat. Like, 
So, you know, like, it's just going to be, it could cause chaos. Well, Spencer, you remember that ride we went on, that kind of brutal ride? If he doesn't have with... both hands in the bars, that could be carnage. <laughs> uh, you remember that ride we went on where I got my front derailleur clamp got hit by a rock and it shattered like a day later? Yeah. Back, like five years ago? Oh, yeah, um, I remember weird. that Maybe ride. that, Tim, you weren't there. Um, <laughs> I don't think that was a rock. I think that was a cliff bar that somebody had dropped and it got deflected ah. off a wheel. You know, because if it's below 80 degrees, those cliff bars are like rocks. And so they could damage a frame. So (laughs) let's let's take this to the next level then. What's your guys' favorite um, food food. to consume on a ride? Like, what what do you enjoy eating? Like, Spencer, what's in your pocket on a ride? Uh, Usually, actually, just a banana. Banana? One or two? Because I can litter the banana peel and not feel guilty at all. I can act out my Tour de France fantasies of just, like, consuming something and throwing the wrapper off to the side of the road, and I don't have to feel bad at all. That's a that's a good point. I like that. I, I do the, the banana and throw the peel as well. Little guy, uh, you a banana man? Um, I'm not a banana man. I can't open them, though. So that's it's pretty kind good. of like a weird... That's a start. It's a weird thing. It's like I can, I can get to them, but I don't like to eat them on a ride, so it's it's like... Strange. I have a little difficulty maybe, opening them. Maybe I uh, should uh, oh. make you carry my bananas around. <laughs> so maybe you just you guys... open them up and hand them over, like a, uh, no. like a uh, you know. Are you a water f- carrier? Are you, banana are you carrier. guys a fan, little guy? Are you a fan of the Scratch Labs Real Food presented by Alan Lim? I'm a fan of real food. I'm not particularly a fan <laughs> of uh, food presented by Alan Lim. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm talking I'm, about like the rice bars that are wrapped in foil that you know like they had that whole cookbook thing yeah yeah no I know anything? what you're talking about I'm just saying I'm a fan of food but not food presented by Alan Lim because I don't like Alan Lim and I want him to go away I think we've been through this on the podcast before that I hate Alan Lim oh okay I didn't know that oh yeah um, <laughs> he's a bit of he's a bit of a doper a doper enabler he's not a doper himself who knows he might be doping who knows? That's you heard he's it here first. On, he's Alan Lim might of... be doping. Can I? Yeah. Can I? Can I tell you what's in my back pocket for food? Yeah, tell me, because you're a okay. bit of a camel. Yeah. So I usually have at least two water bottles back there, right? Yeah. Because I yeah. I I'd like to ride with four water bottles on a ride, especially down here. It's yeah, I gotta That's have insane. a lot of water. Yep. Um, banana. I also I'm a fan of an emergency Cliff Bar. It's got to be relatively mm-hmm. fresh. Like I'll have it back there just in case I need it. But I don't like to dig into it. I'm a huge fan of um, of blocks of some kind, like uh, chews. Uh, for a while, I was using the cliff block um, thing, but then I discovered the um, the hammer uh, the hammer gel block. That is mm-hmm. a no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The goo chews. The goo chews are where it's at. Chews. But it's a very difficult package to open. Uh-huh. So, you know, sometimes my hands get a little sweaty and it's just oh, chaos. Like a, what about like a little box, like the little Halloween size box of like Junior Mints? Would that be good? <sighs> oh, that's pretty good. Nerds this is getting be, to my next point. Nerds so, do you would know be what? awesome on a ride. Dried, just a yeah. mango. Just a bunch of nerds. Dried mango's good. Dried, Dried mango's tasty. become that's, my favorite thing to have on the ride. Because it's just like eating a, like one of those cliff block things, but it's yeah. a mango. So it's a little bit better. Yeah, real food. That's true. You know, you guys... Bringing this up is making me think about like I haven't been on any group rides this year at all. I've maybe been on a ride with one person once, but I've just basically ridden by myself. 
And a lot of my rides have been to the orchard and back. So it's like two, two and a half hours if I take a long route out there. So I don't really eat on the bike like I used to. It's like I ride out there, I stop, I eat a sandwich, I do some work, I get back on the bike, I ride home. It's I don't have to actually yeah. put food in my pockets. So there are two examples I want to talk about. We had we had a former teammate, little guy that, that knew how to eat. Are we talking about Mark Burns? We're talking Mark about Burns. like eggs so, on the handlebars and well, like so he's probably got an egg in his sock or something. So the first All, thing we ever saw could, Mark Burns socks do up to his knees. The first thing we ever saw Mark Burns do was oh, cook an God. egg on his dashboard. That, that was, was the most uh, disgusting thing I've ever that seen. That was in my pretty life. crazy. The, the dashboard was really hot and just the the way the sun was hitting. I don't think hitting. he cooked it up there, but he would do this thing when you would go to his house and you remember this, we'd go to his house to go to a race. He'd say, "We'll leave at 9:30." We all get there at 9:25. Mark's in his underwear. He just woke up. <laughs> he hasn't eaten breakfast. He would put he would hit a Turn a pan on, super low, as low as you could turn a frying pan on, crack an egg on it, and then run around the house doing stuff. And then 20, 25 minutes later, we're finally all in his Mercury Sable. Yep. We're about <laughs> to go. Car. He goes well, the in the kitchen. The ceiling, the ceiling falling down. Yeah. He grabs that thing that used to be an egg off the pan that was slow cooked for 25 minutes <laughs> on a frying pan. He takes it into the car. He throws it on the dash. We're all oblivious to what's going on. We're like, God, the car smells terrible. And then after a couple minutes of driving down the road, Mark reaches onto the dash, and you think he's picking up a crumpled, like, McDonald's wrapper that somebody— or a magazine, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like food. He puts it in his mouth. We're all horrified because <laughs> we, yeah. we think he's— we think he's killing him. We think he's like committing suicide by some sort of strange paper eating, like plastic eating thing. Like, well, and we're in the car. He's driving. It could be terrible, but it's just an egg. The just grossest an egg. egg I've and, ever and seen. Well, and that was, the, and was an egg. You know that it's an egg because of the perfectly circular grease spot that it's left on the dashboard after he picked it up. Man, I hope he tried to resell that car like a year later and there's just this weird grease stain so, and they're like, what What? Uh, what happened here? I mean, uh, I know what's wrong with the brakes and stuff, but he's like, oh, it's from the morning egg. You know, in the morning you put your egg there. Race egg, yeah. <laughs> so, so my other favorite Mark Burns eating on the bike story is I remember being at – the South Range Road Race up in Duluth, Minnesota, um, for yeah. the our our grand uh, tour victory, and I remember yeah. being on the rollout of a race, and uh, I look over at Mark Burns. We're kind of on the back, and he pulls out of his grumpy's kit a thing of Tupperware and a little <laughs> spoon, and we're in the very back of the pack, and he takes the cover off, puts the cover back into his rear pocket, and he's eating some kind of like granola and milk. <laughs> And like, meanwhile, the race has started, <laughs> and then he finishes it, and then he puts like the Tupperware back on, back into the rear pocket. And I don't know if he mm-hmm. puts it like drops it to the feed zone where his buddy Zeb was working or what. Oh, but probably. I do remember that uh, there was Tupperware that I saw during a race and him eating it from a spoon. That's amazing. Uh, Mark, Mark had an interesting approach that. I really am. I am. I'm proud of a lot of it. it. He taught me a lot about not, not, not following the whims of fashion, in like f- what you eat on the bike, how you eat on the bike, things you do. You, he was about like finding his own way, and and rolling with it. And he definitely like he knew how to do his own thing. Yeah, and it, and worked. Yeah. it worked for him. Fast dude. 
All right, guys. Now, now the big, the biggest story of them all that we need to discuss, and that, of course, is um, me. And I've started to get Sarah to already start editing the paragraphs that I'm going to be writing for oh, you guys. You as I am going to win the Velo Games wow. competition because of a amazing attack on stage 15 by Nairo Quintana and my man Alberto Contador at the Vuelta. De España. Gentlemen, yeah. the greatest stage race of the year? The greatest stage race of the last six years? What it's, do you think? It's definitely the greatest stage race of the year. I don't know, six years. Um, we'll, we'll see how it pans out, but it's up there, man. Oh, it's over. You know that, it's, right? It's like, not <laughs> over. There's a time no. trial coming up, my friend. He's got, Okay, to recap, Nairo Quintana has been in the race lead, more or less. He had a 50-second gap on Chris Froome. Lots of people were saying that Quintana needed to get at least two to two and a half minutes buffer over Chris Froome with a huge time trial coming up. Nairo Quintana, on a, one of the shortest stages in a Grand Tour, only 126K, something like that, on Pretty Saturday, sure. attacks early with uh, Albert, Sunday, sorry, with Alberto Contador, 10K mm-hmm. into it. And it becomes an amazing race of, oh my god. And now Quintana has, what, three minutes and 57 seconds or something like that on Froome? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's true. It's over. Send the check to Columbia right now. So whichever one of the three of us Who's going to get third? Yeah, whichever one of the three of us has Nairo on their fellow games team is for sure going to win then. None of us has him. Oh, but I have Contador, who tore it up and deserves yeah. a bunch of extra credit points for instigating the the attacks. And we talked yeah. about Spencer. I think you and I had this conversation. Maybe it was a little guy. Was it Contador is kind of cool when he does these little attacks. He's definitely cool. It's oh, yeah, yeah, it's fun. This he's the best he's thing out there about doing it. it. Now, did you guys get to watch the stage on Sunday? I watched. So I watched a lot of Saturday, and so Sunday I was like, ah, I don't know. I'll watch. I turned it on 20K to go, and my mind was blown. Okay. <laughs> so I have I watched the final 15K, and then I watched a bunch of the start. And I saw highlights in the middle where the highlights in the middle show a lot of Alejandro Valverde attacking Chris Froome in that chase group. And I don't know if you guys were able to see this, but yeah, Valverde I would did. attack, and then it would force Froome to catch up, and it would keep the sky train from getting on the back to help, which we'll yeah. get to in a little bit, on how important this tactic was. It and was Valverde, beautiful. even though Valverde was losing his spot in the GC, yeah, was he'd being already a lost consummate professional point, yeah. and doing all he could to make Chris Froome's life a living hell, and it was amazing. He, he was yeah. a considerable athlete that day. I got to yes, say that. Yes, he was. Hey, I think the dude's always a considerable athlete, except for all that time he doped and like cheated. And stuff. But, you know... Other than that, Other we did than get. That. There were a couple of tweets no, that were was... um, d- directed our way about Valverde. Um, about okay. this, DG After Dark hits us up and says, "I think I am reevaluating reevaluating my thoughts on Valverde after seeing what he did." It's yeah. great. I, I can only true. say I'm bummed that he lost. He lost a yeah. bunch of time Saturday, yeah. um, and so the chances of him getting top ten and three Grand Tours are pretty slim at this point. But it, it's yeah. actually not that far off with the way people well, were hemorrhaging you know time come Sunday. Yeah, I mean, what Valverde does is uh, it was awesome. But the whole 
movie star, maybe movie star Tinkoff uh, collaboration there. Like, yeah. it's it's what it's what we've all been screaming at our televisions during the tour for teams to do. Like, hey, you guys need to work together to break through. Like, it's not going to work if you just ride his wheel as long as you can and then fall off because yeah. he's not going to crack, right? And so maybe because the tour is too big of a, a stage, you know, to do that, they're testing it out here in the Volta, and guess what? It worked. Yeah, like, it totally works. They isolated him. They beat him up. They got him to lose time, and their two GC leaders got away, right? And it was huge. And I hope that they can move this tactic into the tour and into the Giro, and like, because it's the only way to beat a dominant team like Team Sky, right? And the added benefit is if you, they burn up all their workers and then they don't make the time cut, you've significantly damaged their chances at defending, which is about all you can do at this point. Like, if you can't beat them on the mountain, you need to, like, because they have such a strong team, you need to whittle yeah. down that team, right? Like, that is well, yeah. a strategy. And it's within no, it's the great. rules. And it's great that they, they force Team Sky to basically get all their guys time cut because now Sky yeah. is, like... I mean, Froome's screwed that he's alone now. He doesn't have any teammates anymore. Right. Did you see that, um, yeah, Koenig is now in, like, 31st place. But, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of crazy. 31st place over an hour down. Um, well, and, you know, we're, we're big fans of, of his. Yeah, he should be well, out of the race. I, so I want to get to that in just a second. There. I do want to get to that, Spencer. But real quick, um, just to go back to Valverde. Valverde is currently sitting 16th overall in the GC. That's pretty sweet. So yeah, he lost. It um, means a lot to us, Alejandro. But you know, it'd be more if you could get in the top ten. We'd we'd yeah, like that. Come on. Better. So, um, speaking of which, stage fifteen so short. Um, we've we've discussed this many times before. Friend of ours over the years, Darren Homie, on the former Bike Throw podcast, always was a huge proponent of short races and short stages because it creates fireworks. That is what happened on stage fifteen. And over 90 riders would have missed the time cut if the Vuelta actually followed their own rules in conjunction with the UCI. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's bullshit. It's super bullshit. Like, I know it sucks. Like, time cut half of your Peloton, but hey, man, like, you wrote the rules and somebody exploited that. Like, yeah, you know, it would have made for a. I mean, can you imagine how wacky the race would be? We have like a, about a week left with some teams only having one rider. Some teams being gone. Dimension data would be gone. Yeah, so completely. One thing I want to point out, guys, is that we, we do have a lot of newer listeners that just listen for the comedy, I'm sure. But the time cut is an important aspect of the GC because it's something that we would always uh, deal with in our own little races. But it pretty much means that if you don't finish the stage within a certain allotted time that is calculated based off of the stage winner – you're out. Like you're you're done. You cannot continue the next day. And right. ninety riders did not make it. And we're talking and, and top the reason, level people. Entire the teams. That, the reason that rule exists is that so, you know, somebody like a Froom, for instance, can't just, you know, hang with the leader and let all his workers chill out for the day and just ride whatever pace and like be fresh for the next day. You know, like they have to work at least a certain amount, you know, to get yeah. to the to finish it by a certain time so that you know it's more or less even playing field right like that's the idea well and then the entire team sky would have missed it except chris Froome. all direct energy from france would have been out on the um time cut it's amazing the amount of people that would have missed 
um, the, the, that wouldn't have been able to start today, including today's right. stage winner from BMC, um, well, uh, Jean-Pierre you, Drucker. You can look at who was, who's paying attention and who wants to follow the rules, right? Like movie star, obviously like this was their game plan. Eight guys made the time cut. Uh, Cannondale was paying attention. Six of their dudes all made the time cut. You know, Tinkoff, that was, six they must have listened to our podcast. Cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only way. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Tinkoff made you know, it. Lamprey with Mentees. Uh, we just mentioned him a little bit ago. I mean, and yeah, like, AG2R. Lotto, it's... Lotto Jumbo, Bora Aragon 18, Team Sky, FDJ, all would only have one guy left. And, and you know, that's not how racing should be, so I get it. But at the same time, hey, like, they needed to work a little harder. Like, I think they all got together and were like, they're never going to DQ 100 guys. So let's all yeah. just roll in, and that's bullshit. That's them exploiting, like, their, yeah. you know, I don't well, know. And then, it's, it's you not know, cool. Cillian, <clears throat> um, journalist Cillian Kelly at Irish Peloton on Twitter um, wrote, you know, they make no effort to make the time cut, presuming there would be safety in numbers. So why bother with this entire rule at all? And he's like, the rule is only ever applied when it's a small number of riders that miss it. You know, yeah, like, like Ted, a, um, uh, Ted, Ted King. King. I was just going to yeah. say Ted King, and Ted King, yeah. meanwhile, is suffering like crazy all by himself, actually pushing and putting in the work and the spectacle that it should yep. almost be the other way around. If a guy's putting in the effort like Ted King after a horrible crash, like, you know what? Let Ted King continue on in the race because he's not hurting anybody. But instead, 90 riders just cash it in at the end because mm-hmm. they know they have no hope, and then the next day they can come win the stage. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little shady. But, you know, then again, it's not like cycling is the um, the, the most res- – the, the finest of all gentlemanly uh, sports. No, but it's it's just a shame. It would be such a cool race the rest of the week. It would just create and, such strange dynamics. Dude, if Froome well, was and that's by himself. The, thing, like, <laughs> the way that cycling is gone with the marginal gains and with the super calculation of everything and everybody knows what power they can make for how long, like – this is the this is what you've got pushed to like okay let's check the rules let's see what how can we disrupt like the you know the sky train or whatever and this is the way they figured out to do it and it worked and then they turned around and didn't enforce the rules and you know i don't know it's i'm not happy about it let's just put it that way like i don't think 90 guys should get dq'd either but i don't know like it's not really a DQ, though. It's just like you can't continue. DQ yeah. sounds dirty. This just means well, like, hey, better luck next time. Like they yeah. told Ted King. Like, you're not good enough to be here. Sorry. Like, the entire then, team, Sky. Like, imagine what would be going on right now if he didn't have any workers. <laughs> it would be unbelievable. It would be unprecedented. It would be amazing. It would be awesome racing. Um, well, you know, you know what he would have? In half. You, you, you know what Froome would have? <laughs> Froome would have his buddy, Mr. Power Meter, that he looks at constantly, and it's to the point that it's embarrassing how much he just looks down. That's his teammate. And, of course, if Nairo Quintana and Alejandro Valverde with last week's rest day um, manufactured drama, Power Meter should be banned. I mean, you even had Cantador saying that, but... He's had a power meter on his bike his whole career. Well, it's I mean, not like Movistar isn't sponsored by a company. You know, like they have a power meter partner. Well, I just, everybody I, does, yeah. I do agree that it would probably make, um, you know, the exact wording was 
it would make cycling more exciting is what I think Nairo said. And then, of course, the press ran with it to make a big deal out of it to try to create some controversy from what appears to be two pretty decent guys between Froome and Nairo. Like, there's not an yeah. enemy here. And yeah. that's kind of the... Um, I know the little guy you and I were talking about that there yeah. isn't a heel in this group, right? There isn't the foil of a Chris Froome because you're like, oh, man, like, I... I really want to hate Chris Froome. Like, why do we hate Chris Froome? Because eh, maybe he's a little bit more of a robot. And But he, you know what? He's really good at what he does, and he's got it dialed. And it's like, oh, and you can't hate Nairo because he seems to attack. Seems like a pretty decent guy. Well, yeah, he attacks, but he seems like a pretty decent guy. Like, there's not any, like, you know, it's not like you hate him. It's not like the enemy of the, the state, like the way we were no. taught to believe that Jan Ulrich is, you know, some East German sports machine. Right. Um, so, right. you know, it's like, ah, man, like, so who I, would I mean, it take? It, like, who's the bad ever, guy here? Well, Power the bad guys. Yeah, I don't know who the bad guy is. But uh, it reminds me a lot of the um, uh, race radio argument. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that race radio takes the fun out of racing, takes the excitement out. Uh, and, you know, the power meter argument is the same thing. Like, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but... It's interesting. Like maybe maybe it's only loud in certain races. Maybe it's not. I don't know. So why so if can't you know, lose one? Lose the lose the radios. Screw the power meters. Who yeah. cares? In comparison yeah, to, to radios, keep the power meters, because like here's the thing: in power meters, you still need to know what you're talking about. Because you can look down and be like, "Oh, okay, I need to gauge my effort here." Radios, take those out. There's no need for the radios. And the testing that they did of the radios, you know, yeah. the it was. The worst thing ever. They're like, oh, and then the riders like, we're just not going to ride today. And then they didn't do the radios. Yeah. Look what happened in the Olympics when there's no radios. You've got guys falling off the side of mountains, um, <laughs> and, you know, or in just really steep curves. But okay. the uh, true. They didn't wait. They didn't have the director sportive to tell them turn right. So let's get into the saying? bigger question, though, little guy Spencer. There's a bigger question. Yeah. Okay. Why the hell does the Vuelta, owned by ASO, which also owns the Tour? Why is there no trickle down from the excitement of the Volta for the last few years into the tour? Why is the tour such a formulaic, boring because event of, power meters? of cycling? It's no, it's because it's what you said before. It's because it's too big of a stage. Everyone's so <sighs> me- freaked out about messing up that they're, they're no one a... takes chances at the tour. Froome was no, the only the... one who took chances. At so the let tour. me put it this way: Why is there? Right? Why so in Spain they're finding all types of little climbs to end races right like there is it seems like every day they have a pretty amazing stage there's only been two stages that were kind of boring it seems um, yeah. and they were breakaway days but you have a ton of boring stages in the tour you're trying to tell me in the country of France they can't find more of these very unique climbs and crazy well, little can. like alleyways can, but to they, end stages like it's amazing they need to. They need to follow the formula of week one is for sprinters, week two is for rollers, and week three is for the big climbs, you know, or whatever. Like Pyrenees one week. But why do they need to follow that formula? Because it's – Well, they created it. They bought into it, and they – they unfortunately, they've proven the point that the race is way more exciting when the big sprinters don't come. Like, oh, we don't have Cavendish. We don't have Kittle. We don't have – any of the big sprinters, it's a much better race. It's way more interesting watching Johnny Mearsman getting over some climbs. You know where uh, Cavendish is right now? He's at the Tour of Britain arguing with some fans on the side of the road. Did you really? see that? No, uh, what was he arguing about? I don't know, just being Cavendish. I'm sure it was some uh, like, guy waving a flag or something, and he was like, hey, I get out of the it, way. I think he got hit with a sprinters. selfie stick, actually. 
Oh, well, he should well, yell at them then. Well, if it's a selfie, selfie stick, then, then he should totally yeah. stop. I just yeah. saw the gif of like him turning around completely at 180 degrees to the peloton coming up the climb, and he's like yelling at this guy, and this guy just looks nonplussed, just like, oh. But I didn't see a selfie stick. Yeah. It's just better without sprinters, man. It's, it's just the, better. The Vuelta sprinters, seems to be... Sprinters are the worst. They seem to have the formula down. It's just excitement every day. Tomorrow's the rest day, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, why you're excited for the rest of Wait, guys are you go. claiming that the Volta is so exciting that even the rest day is more exciting? Yes. Maybe he just needs a break from all the excitement to oh, like, calm his like, nerves. Get and your pulse down. Himself. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like I like the idea that they even they've even made rest days more exciting. Okay. Heimer Zubeldia had some good appearances in the uh, Vuelta this past week, finding himself in the breakaway with one TJ Van Garderen. Now, Andrew Talansky is the top-placed American out there, and for those of you that forgot about Talansky because he wasn't in the race at uh, um, the Tour, is in seventh place overall, which is pretty promising uh, result for the young American. Yeah, he's having a good race. Good race. Have you, did you see the comments from TJ saying that he had kind of like new respect now for all the domestiques, it's, but it's harder going to the race and working for someone else and trying to get in breakaways than it is going as a GC rider. <laughs> that was nice to see that he had to finally, he had to finally maybe come down from his ivory tower. Ryan Fay on Twitter hits us up. He's at mass underscore distortion. He says, Hey, little guy, Matt dude on team ride was riding a purple Klein today. Hit a small incline. He shifts and the chain drops. It was a three by. Well, nice. that's not that's not the client's nice. fault, man. Uh, you can't blame the client for that. But I'm I'm jealous of you to see a client on a team ride. Uh, I did see a client on the greenway today. Uh, it was pretty sweet. Quantum Android? Pro? No, it was a uh, Android or whatever. Okay. The kind of towny one. Nice. There was a lot of good bikes on the greenway today, you guys. I don't know if it was a like a Labor Day special or what it was, but it was. It was pretty amazing. So what kind of bikes are you seeing out there nowadays? Uh, Pacifics? You seeing some, uh, you know, what kind of stuff? No. I, so I saw the Klein. I saw a Richie Swiss Cross. And we're not talking the new, like, reissue one. We're talking a real old school Swiss Cross. Then right after that, literally a minute later, I saw an old Richie mountain bike. The red, white, and blue tubes, like, from the same early 90s, whatever time period. And then I saw an American mountain bike mountain bike roll by right after that that was like in one minute of being on the greenway that was solid and the first thing i saw when i got on the greenway was a dude walking with an old cannondale road frame flat tire but he had modolo uh the weird aero center pole modolo brakes that i don't think they work actually like mm. they're basically like they're modolo's copy of campy deltas from the mid 80s and they're funny yeah. and small and plastic and I think they're made by Wyman or something. And I've heard that they're terrible, but they look so cool. So that was my, that was like, I was on the greenway for maybe a mile. And I saw all that. My mind was blown. It was a good day. Pretty good. Sounds like a good day. Is there some Very sort good. of Fred, Fred parade going on that you didn't know about? <laughs> there kind of was, I think. There was a lot of uh, middle kind age. Kind of kits. A lot, a lot of really bad kits. A lot of baggy kits. Um, yeah. There was a lot of middle-aged gentlemen riding way too fast, passing way too close because they were doing their intervals. Um, but all the people I just spoke of with those nice bikes were riding very respectfully because they were on 
classy rides. They were enjoying themselves. They weren't the friends on like Madones that were out there like, oh, one extra day on the weekend. That means I can do another Greenway interval. Um, these guys were just chilling. It's what you do when you ride an old Richie, I think. Nice. But yeah, there was a Fred convention in town. <laughs> Tim, well, you're, cool. you're 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 gloating surprisingly uh, a small amount for leading the Velo game still here. I today. know, but I feel like that's probably because you're living in fear now that you've seen me leapfrog little guy and that I'm hot on your tail. Spencer, you're things forty, are not looking forty, as good. forty points ahead of me. I do think I have. We are all really, 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 really close. Tim's what? As like I said, leapfrogging points? the little guy, leaving him far behind, far and behind. closing in, nipping on the heels. Only two hundred well, points behind Super. I don't know if you saw what happened today, but I'm finally starting to cash in my points from that sleeper pick of Nicholas Arndt, who um. Was at zero points up until today when he got, I believe, third place overall on the stage. So starting to cash in. Contador is looking good. Not too worried. But guys. Spencer's Fabio Feline is really coming through for him. uh, I got to say. Yes, he is. I saw him going up the hill. Was that yesterday or? I don't know. It was Saturday or Sunday. And I I was like, who is that Trek rider? I was like, Feline. Oh, damn. <laughs> now we it did fail to, to do our stage 16 contest but we do want to give a shout you out know, to Terrible Bagadonis of AG2R um, for I taking think, the I think uh, we victory. need to spin this as we did not forget about the stage 16 16th place and 16th stage because we need to spin this as a as a protest of it because stage 16 this year in the Volta was one of the very few sprint stages they had it was not going to be an exciting stage and so right, we, did, know, we did the world a let's, favor. Let's put that out into the world as that, that was the reason. That was that was what happened. We uh, that was our silent protest. Uh, we're like we're like reverse Adam Hansons in that the last like eight tours we've forgotten to do a 16th place contest. Yeah, and then he's just ridden them all and probably finished close to 16th in all of them. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, is there anything else you want to add? Or I think we can wrap it up. We've been going for uh, our normal time, and we'd like to thank all of our listeners. Do you guys have anything else? No. I don't think so. Well, make sure you guys email us at theslowridepodcast at gmail.com. Be like Jordan Cullen. Ask us a question. You can also tweet us at the Slow Ride Pod. Tweet us closer to the Monday night recording session. We may actually read your tweet on the air. You can also always make us happy. By waving at all your fellow cyclists as you pass them on the trail or as you're climbing Sugarloaf in central Florida to try to be the king of the mountain. And above all else, thanks to BK1 of Rhyme Series Entertainment for his intro and outro music. And with that, we bid you adieu. <laughs> all right. Oh, adieu. Wide Angle Podium. Go there. WideAnglePodium.com. Great, yeah. great. Nailed it. The Slow Ride Podcast. Likes, advice, and rumors straight from the source. TheSlowRidePodcast.com and on Twitter at TheSlowRidePod.